me ask you a question this morning. When is the last time that you rejoiced? I'm not asking you when is the last time you were happy. I'm not even asking, I'm not asking you when is the last time you smiled. This is something different. Rejoicing is something different. When is the last time that you truly rejoiced over something? You see, rejoicing is not just joy. Rejoicing is not just happiness. Rejoicing is great joy or extraordinary happiness. When is the last time that you rejoiced? See, rejoicing is the kind of thing that people do when they open up their front door and the folks from Publishers Clearinghouse are standing there and they have a giant check with a lot of zeros and balloons and confetti. That's what rejoicing looks like. Rejoicing is more than just calm or peace or feeling happy. Rejoicing involves a lot of jumping around and fist pumping and crying and excitement. In fact, the Greek word that's used in the verses we're going to read this morning uh, for rejoice uh, literally has the context of shouting about something. And that's what rejoicing includes. Rejoicing includes a lot of emotion, a lot of shouting, a lot of excitement. So when is the last time that you rejoiced? Some of you right now are thinking to yourself, I'm not sure I've ever really rejoiced. But maybe you think back to the time that that baby was born, or maybe you think back to the time that you got the job that was the dream. Maybe you think back to the time you got the house. Maybe you think back to the day that you got married. Maybe you think back to the last time uh, a Boston team won a championship. Maybe you think back to to one of those things. But uh, when is the last time that you really and truly rejoiced? You know, one of the challenges that, that comes with rejoicing is I think all of us would agree that it's a good thing to rejoice I don't know that anyone would be in the room and, and, and be a naysayer on rejoicing. I think we're, we're, great, we're grateful for times in our life where we can experience that level of happiness and that level of joy. And if we were going to be honest this morning, we may say, you know, those moments in our lives where we experience that level of happiness and that level of joy, they're really few and far between. Because one of the problems that we have with rejoicing is that rejoicing is a subjective response to some sort of objective reality. And I'll tell you what I mean by that. Rejoicing, as with many of our emotions, is a subjective response to an objective reality. And the problem that we have is many of the things that we rejoice in change over time. So, Malcolm Butler accepts a pass in the end zone, and there is great rejoicing as the Patriots win the Super Bowl. And then we waste over 500 days of our life talking about air pressure and footballs, and the Patriots lose the next year in the AFC Championship game, and the rejoicing goes away, right? Or maybe that baby is born, and you rejoice greatly, and then that baby grows up and and learns to think on its own and speak on its own and starts to voice its opinion uh, very vocally, and some of that rejoicing starts to fade a little bit over Time, or maybe the job that you get is great and there's great rejoicing, and then the company announces that they're restructuring everything and the job goes away, and so does the rejoicing. The problem that we have with rejoicing is it's something that's temporary, it's something that that is tied to some objective reality, and when that objective thing changes, 
then the response goes away as well. And wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't it be great if we could find something that would cause us to rejoice, not just for a moment, but at all times? Wouldn't it be great if we could find something that was a reality that would allow us to rejoice no matter what? Well, this morning, we're going to look at some words that Paul wrote to the church in Rome, and he's going to talk about just that. And Paul would say to you and to me that if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have good reason to rejoice, not just for a moment, not just for a day, not just when something great happens, but no matter what is happening in your life. And so we're going to take a look at that this morning. We're going to be, we're going to work our way through the first 11 verses of chapter 5 here together. Uh, so there's Bibles under the chairs in front of you. Maybe you have one. You could grab the verses will also be up on the screen. But we're going to be in Romans chapter 5. And we're going to read all the way through verse 11. But we're going to work through it in pieces. So as we begin, I'm just going to read verses 1 and 2. This is Paul talking to the church in Rome. And Paul this morning is going to give us a reason why. If we follow Christ, we have reason to rejoice. Therefore, Paul says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we also have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Paul says this as he starts this passage to the church in Rome. He starts with the word therefore. And uh, the reason, what, that, what is contained in that word therefore, is he's moving on to a conclusion based upon the things that he said previously. So if you've been with us over the last few weeks, uh, you know that, uh, that we've been walking through the book of Rome. Romans, if you haven't been with us over the last few weeks and you want to catch up, you can always go back and listen to the sermons on the podcast. We're, I'm still waiting for one person to do that. So you could go back and you could listen to the sermons on the podcast, or you could read your Bible. You could do that as well. You could read Romans 1 through 4 and see what Paul says. But what Paul has said to us to this point is, Paul has said, we have a relationship with God that's been broken by our decision to go against what he's told us to do. Okay, Paul calls that sin. So we have sinned. We've chosen to go against what God has asked us to do. And no matter how moral we are, we can't fix the problem. We can't fix our relationship with God in the here and now, and we can't fix it in life after this world. That's an issue. So God sent down his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins. Exactly what we talked about as we took communion together. And Paul says, if we put our faith in Jesus Christ, if we trust in him, then the relationship between us and God is healed, not only here and now, but also for eternity. And now Paul says, therefore, because that's a reality that those who have salvation is available for those who would put their faith in Jesus Christ. Therefore, here's what you get. There's three things that you get, Paul says, when you put your trust in Jesus. And here they are in these first two verses. Therefore, first we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul's saying before Jesus came, we were at odds with God. God asked us to do certain things. And we either tried really hard and fell short, or we just pretty much rejected the whole thing completely and did whatever we wanted. And so there was animosity between us and God. God asked us to do, live a certain way, 
and we have not lived that way. And it created conflict in the relationship. And Paul says, for those who trust in Jesus, now there's peace in the relationship between you and God. And the second thing he says is not only do you have peace, you now have access to grace. You have access to God's presence. And for Paul, who's writing to a primarily Jewish audience in this letter, this is a big deal, this access to grace and access to God. If you know anything about the temple in the Old Testament, the Jewish temple, one of the big things about the Jewish temple was that access to the presence of God was very limited. So there was one room called the Holy of Holies where God's presence dwelt in the temple. And for everybody else except for one high priest, one day a year, access into the presence of God was completely restricted. And depending on who you were, that access was restricted even further. So if you were the high priest one day a year with great fear and trembling because you may not make it out alive, you would go into the presence of God in the Holy of Holies. That was the one time one person was allowed in. For the priests, they also had a level of access uh, towards God's presence. If you were a Jewish male, you had a certain level of access in relation to getting close to the Holy of Holies. If you were a Jewish woman, you had less access. And if you were a Gentile, you also had very restricted access. If you were a non-Jew, very restricted access around the temple. So they all grew up on this system, generations on this system that severely limited access through God's, to God's presence. And we don't have a lot of time to get into it this morning, but if you know anything about when Jesus died on the cross, one of the things that happened was the veil that guarded that room, the Holy of Holies, was torn in two, symbolizing that God's presence is now everywhere. And Paul's saying, if you believe in Christ and put your faith in him, your access to God's presence and his grace is no longer restricted, but it is available to you at any time. You now have access to God's grace. And the third thing that he says, not only do we have peace, we also have access and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of the Lord. Paul says we have hope for the future. We know that if we trust in Jesus, we're going to spend eternity with him. And so there is hope for the future. And in these first few verses, Paul says everything, a lot of things that we can be satisfied in and excited about when it comes to our faith. In fact, he gives us three real verb tenses of being saved. He says, listen, you have been saved in that peace has been restored between you and God. You are being saved in that today you have access to God's grace, no matter what. And you are going to be saved in that when you leave this earth and you spend eternity in heaven, it will be in his presence. And so Paul says, rejoice. You have been saved. Be excited. You are being saved and you will be saved. And we say to Paul, listen, that sounds great, but I got to be honest with you. I have to be honest with you, Paul. You know, whether you follow Jesus Christ for a day or you followed him for a long time, you, we may know that truth in our minds And we may know that truth because it's been told to us. We may know that truth because we read it in our Bible. But the reality of our day-to-day life, the monotony of day-to-day life, the challenges that we face in this world, if we're going to be really honest, even the reality that we have been saved, we are being saved, we're going to be saved, doesn't cause us to live in a perpetual state of rejoicing the way Paul 
tells us to. And so we look back at Paul and we say, okay, Paul, that's great. Like, we get it. We trust in Jesus. We get these things. Peace, access, and hope. We get them. But here's the reality, Paul. Life is not easy. There's the big things that we've, we've talked about, some big things this morning that have happened. But then there's the little things, right? Just the challenge of getting up and getting out of the house in the morning. Like the little things, the fighting of traffic and, and the dealing with people at work and, the, and all of the things that we have to walk through in our, in our daily lives. And we say, Paul, I got to be real honest with you. I get what you're saying and it makes sense to me, but it doesn't create within me a sense of rejoicing like it should. So what do I do when things are difficult? What do I do when things are hard, Paul? What do I do then? Well, Paul has an answer for us. This is what Paul says. Here's what you do when things are difficult. Not only that, not only the the peace and the access and the hope, not only that, but we also rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. And so Paul's answer to us as to what we are to do when life is difficult and things don't seem to be perfect and going the right way, is Paul says, oh, you should rejoice and the peace, and the access, and the hope. And you know what you should do with all the difficult stuff too? You should rejoice in that as well. And the question that we have back to Paul is, well, why, Paul? How is it that we are to rejoice in our suffering? Paul gives us two reasons. The first reason, Paul says, is because suffering is when God does his best work in you. Paul says, listen, you can rejoice in your suffering because suffering, times of trial, that's when God does his absolute best work in you. When we talk about our our world uh, and our, our world's response to difficult times in life, our world tries to keep a positive attitude. Our world is resigned to the fact that, that suffering and difficult times exist. And if we just have a positive attitude, we can emerge on the other side and be stronger and be better. So we th- say things to each other like, hey, this too shall pass, which we think is a Bible verse and it's not. This too shall pass. We say to each other, maybe uh, I, I read a quote from Abraham Lincoln this week, attributed to Abraham Lincoln, and Abraham Lincoln said this. He said, we can choose to complain that rose bushes have thorns, or we can rejoice that thorn bushes have roses. And those are the kind of sayings that we would say to one another. This is how you get through it. Stiff upper lip. Pull through it. You'll be better. You'll be stronger if you can get through this, and if you can just muster up the energy inside of you uh, to get through it, uh, Oprah and Ellen, although they help us with this stuff, you'll, you'll be better on the other side. But what Paul is talking about here is something different, isn't it? It's not just a resign to the fact that I have to walk through difficult times and I have the energy and power inside of me to get through it, and on the other side, hopefully I'll emerge better and stronger. Paul is telling us to rejoice Paul is telling us in the midst of suffering to act like the publisher's clearinghouse people. Paul's telling us we should be jumping up and down and should be pumping our fist in the air and should be shouting for joy over these things. Paul tells us we should be experiencing great joy and exuberant happiness in the midst of these struggles and 
trials. And so we would say to Paul, listen, we're okay with the idea that we may emerge better on the other side and we're resigned to this fact, but how in the world are we supposed to be rejoicing in the midst of this? And Paul says two reasons. And the first one is because in the midst of our trial, God does his absolute best work. Paul says we rejoice in our suffering because we know suffering produces endurance. Suffering produces, and the word that Paul uses here in the Greek could easily be translated single-mindedness. Suffering produces perseverance. It helps us to focus. It helps us to rearrange our priorities and remember what is important. When we go through difficult times, the stuff that doesn't really matter fades away, and the stuff that really matters rises to the surface. And suffering produces endurance and endurance to character, Paul says. A testedness. Not just a testedness that we can stand up to something and that we can get through it, but the testedness that tests God in the middle of it. And so our character changes and we know that no matter what we go through, no matter what we walk through, God is there with us in the middle of it. And so suffering produces endurance and endurance character and character hope, Paul says. It leads us to be reminded that the answer doesn't exist in this world. Our suffering reminds us that the answer to what it is that we're looking for doesn't exist in this place. It exists in the hope that exists in the next world through Christ. And Paul says when we go through those difficult times, we go through those times of trial, God does his absolute best work. And it isn't easy, and it it is difficult, but we emerge on the other side, tested, single-minded, and filled with hope. So Paul says, rejoice when you go through these things. God's doing his best work in you through it. I can promise you when you listen to someone's story about coming to faith in, in, in Jesus Christ, and if we're going to do baptisms in a few months uh, here, and we're going to tell our stories to each other, and we're listening to people's stories, when people tell their stories about growing closer to God, I have never heard somebody say, when life was the best and everything was perfect, that's really when I got close to God. It's always the opposite. When life was the hardest and I was struggling the most, God came through. Pastor uh, John Ortberg, he's a pastor and author out in California. He says, imagine if you were to have a child. And when you had that child, they gave you a piece of paper. And they said, here's everything that this child is going to walk through, your child is going to face. Your child's going to face some difficulty in life. In fact, your child's going to go to elementary school, and they're going to face um, some, some bullying in elementary school. Your child is going to go to high school, and while they're in high school, they're going to be in a car accident and have to go through some rehab. And then your child is going to leave college, and they're going to get a job, and they're going to lose that job at one point. It's going to be very difficult. And they're going to be married, and that marriage is going to go through a period uh, where they're separated for a time. And you're given this sheet that shows you all the struggles your child is going to have, and you're given an eraser. And And you're told you can erase whatever you want out of your child's life. Any of the suffering out of your child's life you can erase. What is the loving thing to do? If there's no trial, if there's no difficulty, if there's no challenges, then growth will be limited. And it's the same thing between us and God. God allows us to walk through certain things. 
And in those things, he does his best work within us. He's honing us and shaping us, producing endurance and character and hope within us, Paul says. I heard a pastor uh, a couple weeks ago named Charles uh, Berkeley, and he's from, he's from Rhode Island. Is that what Charles is? Charles is down in Rhode Island, and he told this illustration. He said, uh, you know when you take a knife and you put it on a grinding wheel? And I remember my grandfather was a mechanic his whole life, and down in his basement, he had tools as far as you could see, and on, on his workbench, screwed to his workbench, was an old grinding wheel. And when a knife needed to be sharpened, he didn't have, you know, one of those uh, round sticks that you just kind of uh, wave the knife on. He would take the knife downstairs to his grinding wheel, and he would flip that thing on, and he would hold the knife up against it, and it makes a horrendous noise, and the sparks are flying all over the place. And Charles says, the past, this pastor Charles said to us, he said, can you imagine if that knife could talk? Imagine if the knife could talk. What would that knife be saying? The knife would be screaming as you held it closer and closer to that wheel. And as uh, shards of metal came flying off and the sparks were flying, it would be incredibly painful for the knife. The knife would be saying, why are you doing this to me? Why would you allow this to happen? Why would you put me through this? But the after effects of the trial, the knife is sharper than ever before. It's honed perfectly the way it should be. And that's what God does in and through us. God is making us into the people that he desires us to be. And God doesn't cause the suffering, but he allows us to walk through it. And he works through it so that we might become more the people he created us to be. That's the first reason Paul says. Rejoice in your suffering because God does his best work in the trials. And the second reason that Paul gives us is Paul says, you can rejoice because your, your hope is grounded in something that never changes. Rejoicing is a subjective reality that's grounded in some objective truth. And Paul says to us, your rejoicing is grounded in a truth that never changes. And this is what he says. For while we were still weak, at just the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare to die. But God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Paul says to us, listen, rejoice in your sufferings. Experience tremendous joy in the midst of them. Because God does his best work when we walk through trial. And your rejoicing, it's not grounded in something that changes. It's not grounded in something that's temporary. Our rejoicing is grounded in something that's eternal. Listen, if we're a follower of Jesus Christ, and maybe you say, I'm not a follower of Jesus Christ this morning, that's okay. Here's some insight onto how we think as believers. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, this is the reality. 
God has sent his son to die on the cross for your sins. He came down, and while we were still sinners, while we were still running from him, he came down and died on the cross for you and for me. And he rose again on the third day, proving that he has victory over death and anything else that we might face in this world. So that no matter what we're facing today, we can rejoice because the answer that we're looking for isn't here. It's not in this place. Everything here is temporary. Our hope is grounded, our rejoicing is grounded in something that is eternal, something that lasts forever, and that is Jesus Christ who raised from the dead and now sits at the right hand of the Father in heaven. So it doesn't matter what we face here. Our rejoicing is grounded elsewhere. Some of you may know the name of Rick Warren. Rick Warren is a pastor in California. He pastors a church called Saddleback Church. Uh, he wrote a book a few years ago, you might have seen, called The Purpose Driven Life, which sold about a billion copies. And a few years ago, uh, Rick Warren and his wife, they walked through a pretty difficult time as their 27-year-old son, who had battled depression for quite a while, uh, took his own life. And as I'm sure you can imagine, the church that he pastors is, is, is very big, tens of thousands of people. He sold millions of books. No amount of how big the organization is, no amount of selling books could possibly overcome that sort of pain. About a year after that took place, Rick Warren was giving an interview, and he said, people ask me, How do you deal with the pain? How do you deal with the pain of your son? You know, you battled with him for all of those years, and then finally it ends this way. How do you deal with the pain? And he said, the only thing I can say is that the answer is Easter. The only way I can battle with the pain, the only way I can rejoice is that the answer is Easter. And he said, what I mean by that is Friday was the day that Jesus died. Friday was the day of, day of pain and suffering. Saturday, Saturday was the day of silence. Saturday was the day of wondering what was going to happen. But Sunday, the day that Jesus rose from the dead, is the day of great victory and rejoicing. And he said, the answer for me is always in Easter. When I experience Friday, the answer is always in Easter. So how do I deal with it? I deal with the objective reality that no matter what happens in this world, Christ has died on the cross on behalf of my sin. I am forgiven by him. I have peace with God, access to grace, and hope in the future that I have in Jesus Christ. And no matter what we're walking through, Rick Warren said, the answer is always Easter. Here's the truth. We live in a world that's searching for a reason to rejoice, don't we? We live in a world where people are looking for a place where they can experience joy. And the challenge is, everything in this world only offers joy for a moment. We can stop an injustice and feel joyful, but there is another injustice that we got to take care of. We can get the political action done and be joyful. There's another political action that needs to take place. We can fix the relationship and be joyful, but it's going to have to be worked on again down the road. We can get a certain amount of money and be joyful, but we're going to need more money later, and we're never going to be satisfied. And what happens is, is we live in this world where people are searching for joy, and they say, well, maybe I'll find joy in relationships. Maybe I'll find joy in, 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 being pro- in progressing in things. Maybe I'll find joy in technology. Maybe I'll find joy in all of these places. 
And what happens is we go there for joy, and the joy only lasts for a moment. The rejoicing lasts for a moment, and then we have a decision. Either we move on to the next thing, or we finally get to the place where we say joy doesn't exist, and we totally withdraw. And that's the world that we live in. Everyone's running from one thing to the next. Maybe this will bring us joy. Maybe if we elect this person, we'll finally have joy. Maybe if we pass this law, we'll finally have joy. Maybe if we make this business decision, we'll finally have joy. Maybe if we fix this problem on the earth, we'll finally have joy. And we keep running from thing to thing to thing, ignoring the fact all along that the things that we are rejoicing in only last for a moment. What Paul's talking about is something different. He's talking about rejoicing that's grounded not in something that changes in a moment, but something that lasts for eternity. I was reading this week about something called an artesian well. I'm not really up to date on my well knowledge, so I learned something new this week. An artesian well. An artesian well, the way an artesian well works is that water is trapped in sand or in limestone or some sort of bedrock, and it's under great pressure. And when they go to drill the well, they don't need a pump. They don't need a bucket. That water is under such pressure that when the pipe hits the water source, the pressure forces the water up to the surface, and these wells will run for years and years producing water with no pumps and, and no buckets or anything else like that. The water just keeps flowing and coming and coming and coming because the pressure that that water is under. And I heard, I read about a pastor talking about this passage, and he said, as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus Christ, I am filled with artesian joy. That I, my joy is found in Christ alone. And it's not up to me to come up with the joy. It's not up to me to will this inside of myself. Because I know Christ, the joy comes from him and just flows through me over and over and over again. And it never stops because the joy of Christ is eternal. And that is the great hope that we have for those of us who follow Jesus Christ. That no matter what happens in this world, we can rejoice because our rejoicing is grounded. Not in something that changes tomorrow but something that lasts forever in Christ. You want to rejoice this morning? Ground your rejoicing in the truth of Christ. Some of you walk into this place this morning and you need a reason to rejoice. It's been a long time. This morning you're invited you have an opportunity to begin that relationship with Jesus Christ and begin to find your joy not in this world, but in him and in the next. Some of us this morning, we say we are followers of Christ, but we've just forgotten about this reality. We get into our daily lives and we get into the minutia of things and the difficulties we face and we just forget about this truth. And this morning, God just wants to remind you that you have reason to be joyful no matter what is going on. Because God loves you and because your hope is in Christ. And so this morning, I hope that reality is is sure in your heart. I'm going to invite our worship team to come back uh, to the stage this morning. And I'm going to invite you, if you would, just to pray with me. Let's pray together. And I'm not going to make a big deal about this this morning. 
I'm not going to ask you to do anything uh, crazy. All I would ask you to do is, if you're in this place this morning, I just want to remember you in prayer. If you're in this place this morning and everybody's eyes are closed and their heads are bowed, and you would say, you know what, this morning is a morning that I need reason to rejoice. This morning is a morning that because of the things that are going on in my life, the circumstances that I'm facing, I need God to fill me with his joy. I tried it on my own. I've tried a lot of different things. And they don't work. And this morning I need God by his spirit to cause me to rejoice. If you find yourself in the, that place this morning, I just invite you if you would. I'm not going to ask you to stand up. I'm not going to ask you to come forward. But just so I can remember you as I pray, that you would, would you raise your hand? Would you be willing to say this morning, listen, I just need God to do this. I can't do it myself. There's a number of you around this room this morning. God, I thank you for the truth this morning that we can rejoice, not just smile, not put on a fake smile, not not just pretend to be happy. I thank you for the reminder this morning that we can rejoice because of the work that your son has done on the cross on our behalf. God, thank you that we can rejoice in the forgiveness that we have, in the peace that we have, in the grace that we have. And God, would you forgive us because all of us have gone searching for that joy other places. Lord, we confess to you this morning, some of us say that we're followers of Jesus Christ and we look for that joy in places it doesn't exist. We look for that joy in being a part of church. We look for that joy in being a part of following the rules. We look for that joy in places where it doesn't exist because it only exists in Jesus Christ and the work that he's done. So Lord, for all of us, whether we would say that we're very close to you or whether we feel very far from you, would you remind us of the joy that comes through Christ? Would you fill us by your spirit with that joy? Would you help us to rejoice in you this morning because you are good? And the reality is while we were still running away from you, while we weren't listening to you, while we were doing our own thing, you loved us enough to die for us and we thank you for it. So God, help us no matter whether today is the greatest day of our lives or the most difficult day of our lives, would we rejoice in you and be glad. In Jesus' name, amen.